I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Words cannot adequately express how much I have missed you people in the last three months. What a blessing you are to me. And I love you, my brothers and sisters. The scripture for the morning comes from the fourth chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. I'll begin reading with the fourth verse. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. There used to be an antique dealer who would make occasional forays up into isolated regions of the Great Smoky Mountains to buy old items. He would typically approach a house and say to the owner, do you have anything old you could sell me? Farm implements, furniture, glassware. And very often these old mountaineers would, were delighted to sell him some old item for some ready cash. One day he approached a dilapidated shack and when he knocked on the door, a woman came to the door. She was wearing a faded dress and worn out shoes. 
And when he made his offer to her, she hesitated a moment. She glanced at the blue sky and the sunlit forest. And then she made a statement that was lacking in grammar, but overflowed with contentment. She said, Mr. It's like this. I ain't got nothing I don't need and I don't need nothing I ain't got. Now that contented woman's tribe in America is small today because most Americans are not content, including many church members. One of the reasons that the Peanuts cartoon character, Charlie Brown is so popular is that so many Americans identify with Charlie Brown. You know, Charlie Brown is the epitome of negative feelings. He is America's premier pessimist. Charlie Brown says, when my ship comes in, I'll probably be at the airport. There's so many Charlie Browns in America. The well-known Christian writer and preacher Max Lucado says that most Americans live in what he calls the prison of want, the prison of want. That is, they want something, something bigger, something nicer, something faster, something thinner. They don't want much, just one thing. And then they will be content. Now, Satan, who is the father of lies, is a marvelous salesman. And he loves to dangle some desired item before us just like he did before Adam and Eve in the garden and whisper in our ears, ah, if you had this one thing, you would be content. But that's a bald-faced lie. I learned this lesson as a child. I suffered from what I call the post-Christmas blues. Any of you ever suffer the post-Christmas blues? It, for two months before Christmas, I would make out my list of things I wanted. And I mailed the list to Santa Claus. And just to cover all my bases, I gave a copy to my parents. And it did not include those technical items that kids enjoy today. This was in an earlier era. One year it had a bicycle on the list. Uh, one year I had a Roy Rogers two-gun holster set. And there were some Christmases, a few of them, when everything on my list was under the tree Christmas morning. But you know something? By sundown on Christmas Day, the novelty had worn off those gifts and I had the post-Christmas blues. Almost felt like singing with Peggy Lee, is this all there is? Now, may I meddle in your life for just a minute? You know I can because I'm a preacher. I have a license to meddle. Indeed, I think I have a mandate to meddle in your life. If you are not content today, what is the one thing separating you from contentment? How would you complete this sentence? I will be content when, and then you fill in the blanks. How would you fill it in? I will be content when? When I'm healed? When I'm promoted? When I'm married? 
when I'm financially secure? When I retire, how do you finish that statement? I will be content when. Now, with your answer firmly in mind, I want to ask an additional question. If your ship never comes in, if your dream never comes true, if your situation never changes, could you be content? And if the answer is no, my friend, you're still in the prison of want. You're in that prison if your joy is one delivery away or one transfer away or one award away or one makeover away. If your joy comes from something you deposit or drive or drink or digest, then face it, you're just an inmate in the prison of want. When Thomas Jefferson wrote that epic document, the Declaration of Independence, he declared that every American is endowed by his or her creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, happiness is a good thing. If you go to your dictionary, Webster describes happiness as the experience of pleasure or gladness over the possession of something good. Problem with happiness is it can leave as quickly as it arrives. Because if you lose the good thing that made you happy, your happiness flies away. And if happiness for you is good health, then illness can steal your happiness. And if happiness for you is financial security, the loss of a job or a 401k can steal your happiness. And if happiness for you is harmony in the family, a family dispute can steal your happiness. And if happiness is connected to your golf game, you are really in trouble. The Bible says very little about happiness. I can find only five instances in the whole Bible when the word is mentioned. But oh, when you look up the word joy, it fills the Bible. Hundreds, hundreds of references to joy. Happiness and joy are very different. Happiness is superficial. Joy is deep. Happiness is based on circumstances. Ah, but joy is a condition of the heart. Lots of things can steal your happiness, but nothing can steal your joy in Christ. Joy is a profound peace with God, peace with oneself, and peace with other persons. Jesus pointed to the source of joy when he said this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, the great fourth chapter of uh, the letter to the Philippians is all about joy. St. Paul almost shouts, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. When Paul wrote those words, he had none of the things that make for happiness. He was in a filthy Roman jail, facing perhaps a death sentence. The hound of anxiety was snapping at his heels. 
And even when that hound was not within biting distance, the sound of his howl was ringing in Paul's ears. And poor old Paul, poor old St. Paul had been an inmate in several jails across the Middle East. And when he wrote this letter to the Philippians, they remembered when he was in their local jail eight or 10 years earlier. You can read about it in the 16th chapter of Acts. While St. Paul was in Philippi, he, by the power of God, healed a slave girl who was mentally ill, filled with some kind of demon. And she was being used by her owners to tell people's fortune. They were paying because those people in those days had this superstition that mentally ill people were clairvoyant, could see into the future. So her owners were making money off this poor slave girl. Well, when Paul healed her, they could no longer make money off her. And that made them very angry. And they turned their anger on Paul and his associate Silas. They accused them of various things with the authorities, had them arrested. They were brutally beaten and then thrown into jail. Now, when you're in jail with a bloody, painful back, there is no way to be happy. But believe it or not, Paul and Silas were joyful. How do I know this? Because it says what they were doing at midnight. Guess what they were doing at midnight? They were praying and singing hymns to God. Despite bloody backs and a filthy jail, Paul and Silas were joyful and content. And in Paul's fourth chapter, he shares the secrets, the keys to real contentment. Paul gives us three keys to contentment. The first is this, replace worry with thanksgiving. Listen to verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, during these months facing the coronavirus, and then more recently, in recent weeks, dealing with racial unrest across America, it is so tempting for us to focus on our problems and our fears. What if somebody in my family gets the virus? What if I lose my job? What if school does not open in the fall? What if racial tensions get worse? What if violence erupts in all the major cities of America? What if one night I call 911 and nobody answers? Now, just saying don't worry is absolutely useless. Useless. Well, telling worry to just go away is about as effective as telling a mosquito to leave you alone. Worry cannot be banished unless it's replaced. Let me repeat that. Worry cannot be banished unless it is replaced. So St. Paul urges us to replace worry by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. As I look back across the years, and I'm getting older now, aren't we all? 
There, there have been times in my life was I, I was in a real mess, a deep and dark hole for about six months after the death of our eight-year-old son, I was half crazy with grief. I would be driving down the highway and suddenly floods of tears rolled down my cheek. I'd have to pull off the highway and stop to regain my composure. And there was another period in my life when for over a year, I was under almost constant attack from my presiding bishop because he disagreed with my theology. And in the middle of those crises, I even found a cause for thanksgiving because even in the middle of those huge messes, I found myself saying a prayer that sounded like this. Dear Lord, you know what a mess I'm in, but I'm so glad you're in the mess with me and you know the way out. If you have some of those nights, and I suspect you do, when some anxiety or worry is preventing you from sleeping, I want to make a suggestion. Get out of your bed quietly so you won't disturb other people. Go into another room. Find a pen and paper. Sit down and make a list of 10 things you are thankful for. By the time you finish number 10, your anxiety will be downgraded and you'll be sleepy again. When I was pastor in Memphis, the lady who taught our Sunday school class for fifth graders phoned me one day and she said, Brother Bill, back before Thanksgiving, I asked our fifth graders to make lists of the things they were thankful for. And then I had them hand in their list and I made a composite list of all of the things, they, things and people they were thankful for. And she said, I've got good and bad news for you. The good news is you made their list. The bad news, you were in 11th place, three places below their dogs. I said, that's all right with me because I love dogs too. I'm just glad you helped them make out a list of thank thankfulness. St. Paul said that if you want to be content, first replace worry with thanksgiving. And his admonition reminds me of an old song we learned as children. You remember? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Now, John, what's the rest? Count your blessings, see what God has done. St. Paul's second key to contentment is this. Fill your thoughts with excellence. Fill your thoughts with excellence. One of our great freedoms in America is the right to set our mental agenda. This mind of ours is a magnificent computer. No, it's not without fault. It can make mistakes, but it is a powerful, powerful instrument. And every day we, we program this computer, usually early in the day. 
And what we put into it, how we program it is our choice. We can feed it truth or trash. We can feed it gossip or good news. We can feed it nastiness or nobility. The choice is ours. Garbage in, garbage out. Glory in, glory out. Therefore, St. Paul challenged us to set our minds each day on whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I once had a golfing buddy who gave me some good advice about the game of golf. He said, before every shot, think pretty thoughts. What he was saying is that before each shot, visualize the perfect shot. And if you visualize it, uh, that's part of the way toward achieving it. And indeed, a good many professional golfers say that positive thinking is approximately 40% of success in golf. Unfortunately, there is the other 60%. In the very first church I served, there was a lovely elderly lady named Mrs. Martha Kuhn. She was affectionately known as Miss Martha. She was a widow. Her late husband had run a small country store, so she had no pension. Her only income was her social security check. Even though she seldom mentioned it, she had severe arthritis. You could tell by the way she walked. Now, if Miss Martha had been inclined to complain, she had a whole lot to complain about. But her inclination was the opposite. She was so filled with the joy of Christ that a smile was perpetually on her face, was her trademark, in fact. And every day she wrote a note or a letter to somebody who needed a word of encouragement. And when I got ready to leave that church and go to my next appointment, she gave me a going away present. It was a notebook full of encouraging, thoughtful, noble sentiments she had heard or read, written in her distinctive handwriting. It was a notebook full of whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, because Miss Martha thought about such things. Program your mental computer every day with godly stuff. In a real sense, you are what you think. St. Paul's third key to contentment is this, stay connected to Christ. Stay connected to Christ. St. Paul makes an amazing boast in verse 11 that he has learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And then down in verse 13, he tells us the secret, how he can do that. He says, I can do everything through him, that is Christ, who gives me strength. In other words, Paul was fed and fueled 
by the living Christ. Now, that should remind us of the powerful analogy that Jesus gives us in the 15th chapter of John, the vine and the branches. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. When we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we are grafted, grafted into the vine. But we are not held captive to the vine. We can detach either by choice or by just carelessly drifting away. How then can we be sure to stay connected by every day talking with the Lord in prayer, every day reading God's word, regularly gathering with God's people in worship and reaching out to serve other people. Every day, our connection to the Christ vine is either strengthened or weakened. Right now, the, the gardenia, gardenia bushes in my backyard are in full bloom. Ah, beautiful white blossoms. It's as if a snowstorm has come in June. And if the Lord created a more divine fragrance than a gardenia, he kept it to himself. And so several times a week, I go out in the yard, cut five or six of those blossoms, bring them to the house, put them in a bud vase. It is almost impossible to walk past that bud vase without taking a sniff. But you know what else I'm learning? After a couple of days, those blossoms begin to wilt and turn brown. Similarly, when we detach from the vine that is Christ, we may not notice anything right at first, but pretty soon we begin to wilt because we have detached from our source of spiritual nourishment. So Jesus said, remain in me and I will remain in you. Our joy and contentment come from Christ, of course, but we have a responsibility to maintain and spread that blessing. St. Paul gives us three keys to contentment. Say them out loud with me right now. First one, Replace worry with thanksgiving. Second, fill your thoughts with excellence. And third, stay connected to Christ. There are several old gospel songs that celebrate the joy and contentment we find in Christ. One of them is entitled, This Joy I Have. And it has this wonderful line in it, this joy I have, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. I love that. And then there's another wonderful old gospel song entitled, Give Me Jesus. And it has this unforgettable lyric. You can have all this world. You can have all this world. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. Listen now as our brother Sam Phillips sings that glorious message. <laughs> 